There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a Snipper Nixon production. Welcome to Are You Feeling Funny? where top comedians discuss health and well-being with Harley Street specialist and our host, Dr. Brian Kaplan. Today's guest is Adam Kay. So let's join them in the heart of Harley Street. Welcome to Are You Feeling Funny, Adam Kay. Thanks for having me, Doctor. Okay, so you are first doctor on the program that we've had, and this program is about your experiences as a patient and coming to contact with the medical profession and what it was like. And I'm an old-fashioned holistic doctor, so I like to look at things physical, then mental, then spiritual, body, mind, and spirit. So let's start off with just anything to do with physical medicine, any interactions you've had with A&E or doctors, or, but to do with the physical side of medicine. I think you'd agree that doctors make quite bad patients. Notoriously so, yes. Um, I think most people are quite bad patients. They either, uh, either see doctors too much or too little, and doctors definitely see other doctors too little. Mm-hmm. And so I only really see a doctor when there's something obviously uh, the matter. Uh, most recently, uh, when I, uh, I broke my ankle, mm-hmm. and I thought, ah, oh, I probably can't sort this out on my own. <laughs> so I think that was my most my most recent significant interaction with. How'd you do that? With the so that's a story. Of Oh, I wish I wish it was something really exciting and involved <laughs> oh, some sort of fleeing from a gunfight or <laughs> skiing. Um, but no, I'd um, the book had the book had just come out uh, in hardback last September, and I'd uh, I'd done some some telly thing with Sky and was just sort of peeling myself out of the taxi and slipped on some uh, wet foliage outside my house and sort of just mm-hmm. plumped onto the ground. And uh, couldn't get up, which I remembered uh, is a bad sign. <laughs> and so, so I got. So, and if I, I couldn't get up to the extent that I had to. Oh, and I destroyed my phone during the process. Of this. Oh yeah. So I, I couldn't even. Um, I needed to attract attention. Our, our street's very quiet, and there was no one around. Um, so I started. So I was just sort of yelling to, to my to my partner um, from outside the house uh, to be rescued, and so he sort of ignored that for for about 10 minutes then eventually wondered what the what the noise was and came and found and he scooped me up and I was lying on the sofa going oh it'll be fine it'll be fine it's just a bit swollen by this point it's, <laughs> it's the size of a sort of watermelon and then eventually I conceded that um it's interesting that you talk about that that interaction between yourself and the patients I mean in your book one of the 
I know there's some horrific stories there. They're like stories from the trenches in the First World War that, that, that <laughs> Robert Graves and Eric von Remarque would be too embarrassed to tell. Some of the stories are, 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 are really graphic. Are there interactions with you in uh, any other instances with physical medicine or you've been lucky with your health? Or? I'm, I'm reasonably clumsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... And when I fall down, I do it. I do it really properly. Oh, yes. So I've uh, over the years, I've done two wrists, one elbow, <laughs> yeah. three ankles. Um, uh, I mean, that's that, that's been most of it. Um, so you're not dyspraxic as such, though, because I'm sure I am undiagnosed. My son was diagnosed, and because he was diagnosed, he was given so many privileges and allowed to type instead of write and all sorts of things at university. I think I've I think I've got decent motor coordination uh-huh. i mean i can you know i can play the the, the piano to a sort of uh-huh. achievable uh-huh. it's a sort of you know, all right level and um um but i think the diagnosis is klutz i'm just sort of don't look where i'm going <laughs> just sort of fall off should we look it uh, up in uh kumar and clark yeah you know, klutzism <laughs> yeah so i think i've got a sort of um end stage klutzism um that's the main thing um yeah, and I think I'm 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 very I'm very uh, lucky that I haven't had to bother the profession too much. I had a uh, I've only had one operation, which was to to take out a uh, a disc. Oh, you had that? That's mm. fairly back surgery is no joke, huh? Uh, no, that was. I mean, that was. Um, I was on holiday, mm-hmm. and it was another not not being able to walk um, moment uh, when my uh, right leg kind of just stopped working. And and I also remembered that was that wasn't right. From uh, you had some nerve compression from this disc. Yeah, there, as it yeah. as it turned out, and so I ignored it um, until I couldn't completely ignore it because I had to be in a wheelchair. <laughs> so I, uh, but I, <laughs> yeah, okay. And uh, and my, my husband isn't a doctor, uh, and sort of he comes to me for like medical things. Is this fine? Should I worry about this? You know, and. Um, and so when I told him, in no uncertain terms, this is fine, I just need to be in a wheelchair uh, for a bit until we get home. It was like, okay. Um, so I went along with it. Um, and then straight off the plane uh, back home a few days later, I saw a neurosurgeon who sort of uh, imaged my spine and, uh, and told me off for, for waiting this length of time with a with yeah. sort of motor injury to my, <laughs> to my leg. Uh, but ultimately, all's well that ends well. They, uh, they they took out a disc. I've got the scar to show. I've also got the um, I've also got the disc in a, in a, uh, in some formalin. Oh, wonderful! In a, uh, in my in my office, like a sort of low rent an anatomical uh, museum. Did they do a fusion of vertebra then in your case? Uh, no, they just sort of they just whipped it out. And, and it's uh, okay. You're not in pain, or you? Uh, no. I'm all right. I'm mm. all right. Mustn't grumble. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. So um, anything else? Any other physical stuff that you've had? Any diseases or infections? Any or diseases and infections. I mean, um, I get tonsillitis. You're prone every, to it, yeah. Prone to it. Don't know why. Um, the, in fact, the last time I had it was a, was a few years ago, and I was out working uh, in the States again. And um, I knew I had tonsillitis, and because uh, I'd had it before, I sort of shone the phone torch the mirror and sort of uh, got that again and was basically phoning around to see uh, if a doctor would be prepared to just write me a prescription mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for, you know, for some antibiotics. I know what normally works for me. Um, and the cheapest I could get seen 
and prescribed it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds really? of, of dollars for a one second consultation yeah. and uh, and a uh, and a prescription uh, and i always always uh, remember that uh, when um, when conversations about NHS funding come up, that that could well be the ghost of Christmas future. Ruthless capitalist medicine. I mean, in America, I was shocked to read someone, because someone told me the price of a ventilator inhaler in America, something like $75 for oh, one inhaler. Works. That's insane. Do you know, America, there's an article that I read in the New England Journal of Medicine in the 90s. Well, 2010, sorry, 2010, New England Journal of Medicine, January edition, I think it is. It gives a rating for what health services are provided by a country relative to other countries for all its citizens. Okay. We know that America supplies the best medicine money can buy, mm-hmm. but not the best medicine money can't that, that without money, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. America is listed 37th in the world mm. in the quality of medicine supplied to all the people. So we know all the magical stuff and d- dissecting the genome and all that, that's American, but... Just in basic services, 37th in the world. We're quite high up, 7th. I think France was top of the list. Um, in America, there's no gatekeeper. Yeah. If you want to see, if you've suddenly decided that you're, you know, you're, you've got something wrong with your spleen for no other reason than you sort of, it came to you in a, in a vision, you can go and see, a, you know, the world's best spleenologist. And they'll, but there's no, there's no gatekeeper. There's no one stopping you doing it. People in my opinion, don't go to medical school because they want money. No, I agree. You'd be be mad to go to... You have to have all of these A-levels, all of these extracurricular whatnots. Um, You know, it's a very inefficient... You might as well play the lottery if you think that's going to make you a wealthy person. Completely agree. Um, If you're in America, I'm not so sure, because that was the lie the government told when the doctors were striking, oh, they're being greedy, they're in for the money, which wasn't the case. Mm. They, they went on strike because uh, a new contract was going to affect working yeah. conditions, which means um, patient safety, which means the best interest of the patient. The best interest of the patient is the only thing that doctors care about, and that's why they do the job. Hi there. Sorry. I know I'm definitely not as interesting, but just two seconds of your time. We're the company that make this show, Snipper Nixon. We do podcasts, we develop scripts, and much more. If you want to know more about us, find us at snippernixon.com. Oh! Oh, and if you are enjoying the show, please comment, tell a friend, subscribe, or send a carrier pigeon. We'll be back after these messages. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature, Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now, back to Harley Street with Dr. Brian Kaplan and Adam Kay. Okay, let's move on to body, from body to mind. Have you had any, and when I say mind, I don't mean only psychoanalysis and psychotherapy. I mean motivational, coaches, seminars, group work, anything like that. Any, any, work, any experience in that field, especially if it's something funny. Um, I think I've done my own therapy. Yeah, tell me. Um, my, my book tells the story of all my time as a doctor and how I eventually left. Yes. And when I left, it's because I didn't have the emotional wherewithal, the force field to deal with if you're on labour ward and the, the worst happens. Uh, I, you know, I, I couldn't deal with it. Just to elaborate, I think what you're talking about is one of the worst things that can have... I've, done obstetrics and, and gynecology too and I, I'm not specialised but I experienced and I delivered 30 babies etc but you describe the worst nightmare yeah, of anything so, losing yeah. so you you know you all you want from any patient whether the birth plan goes to plan or mm. not you want healthy mum healthy baby yeah. and this is one of the uh, extremely rare scenarios where you end up with neither mm. neither alive I don't talk too I don't go into too much uh, detail about the exact outcomes in the book uh, to protect the family involved so it doesn't become too recognisable. Mm. But, yeah, it was, you know, it was it was basically the worst that could happen. Mm. Um, and, you know, no one suggested it was my fault, no one suggested anyone could have done anything differently. And, in fact, it's just one of these things. Shit happens. Mm. And uh, And basically... I was told that every five or six years, if you're the most senior obstetrician on the ward, I was the senior registrar, um, and it was it was out of hours, it was a weekend, so I was the most senior person there. It happens every five or six years. Something like that, that some, exact incident. Yeah. Some, some major disaster. And I realised that whilst I could probably see myself getting through this one, I would just be watching the, the clock until the next one, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't face that being my, my career. And so... I left medicine and I didn't talk about medicine. And I worked as a, as a comedy writer and people would say, oh, you used to be a doctor. Why don't you, you know, are you interested in working up something involving a hospital? I was like, nope, 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 nope. And I never told anyone the reason that I left. And you'll appreciate that's not the most healthy approach to things. Um, but I just couldn't talk about it. It was too upsetting. So my parents... Knew I'd left medicine, obviously, but didn't know why I'd left medicine until they read a copy of my book last September, you know, years and years and years after the event. Um, my partner didn't know why I'd left medicine until I was up in the Edinburgh Fringe reading out from my diaries. Mm -hmm. The reason that, and it, and it feels bizarre saying this now, because it's been, you know, 
they've cut down loads of trees and printed hundreds of thousands of copies of this this book and I go around the country talking about it but I'm just at the time it was I just couldn't face thinking about it talking about it and the thing that changed was the the junior doctor strike I suddenly realized it doesn't matter if it's healthy for me it's not healthy for the public the public need to know mm-hmm. what doctors and nurses and physios and paramedics and all these healthcare professionals actually do. Mm. The healthcare profession should be shouting out about the reality of the work so that next time a government says, oh, doctors are just being greedy, they're in it for money, the public can say, that's ridiculous. Mm. Absolute nonsense. Why would anyone in their right mind do that job for anything other than the right reasons? And I realised that I potentially was in a powerful position Mm -hmm. to amplify the doctor's voice. The doctor's voice is so quiet. I mean, Mm. they have their trade union representatives and whatever, but actual... The actual voice of real junior doctors who know what it's like on the on the the coalface is very quiet. I agree um, with you. I mean, just when you hear ministers say doctors are greedy on the NHS, you can just feel total solidarity with every other doctor in the country knowing that he's talking complete yes. garbage. You know? However, yeah. the government won that war at yeah. the time yeah. because we can only respond to the data we're given. Doesn't matter what colour political tie we wear or whatever we think of the NHS. If we're told some stuff, we respond to that data. And doctors are at work a hundred hours a week. How can they? So I thought if mm. I could, you know, if I could spread that that message, then that was it would be worth, you know, the thing that I really didn't want to do, which and did do, was was talking about my um, the, the bad stuff and the sad stuff that happened to me. But what I realised was the more I talked about it. The, the less I minded talking about it. This became the therapy for you. I did saying. my own yes, therapy. Yes, yes. And in a very unconventional way, you know, standing up in front of hundreds or thousands of people at a time and, you know, reading, reading out that particular diary entry and other ones and, and, and talking about it. And I no longer... I, I wonder if what I if what I had was some degree of PTSD because mm. uh, probably not technically, but it must be something allied to that because it would I w- it would be a frequent thing I dreamed about, and yes. it, would, it would I would have like sort of uh, sort of little flashbacks, and I would sort of wake up in a panic, and it would be that again, and that's not happened. Do you know there's this thing called EMDR? I don't know if you've heard about it, where you get you get a patient to move their eyes. You tell yes, them what you're thinking. Yes, and, yeah. and the whole purpose of that is that, that the idea is that when we dream, we let go of stuff that is unconsciously upsetting us. So they guess get the person to think about a traumatic event and then their eyes move yeah. as in rapid eye, yeah. either following yeah. a finger or following a light. Yeah. And this actually allows stuff to to be released. So what you're saying, if stuff is emerging in dreams, it yeah. shows that you hadn't processed everything that you needed to. Yeah, uh, no, that's very interesting. It's not something I know anything about really this side of things but what i do know is now I, it's a demon i don't do you think have. That, so the therapy was right was performing or writing or both would you say the perform the, the the therapy because the writing had already happened mm-hmm. when did you write let's just clarify so that. these were contemporaneous yeah. diaries that i kept at the time and all those funny ironic remarks that you make did you write those down or did you come back and sort of look at it again or because that's I- very tr- funny. Usually, end ironically. Yeah. You know? I tried. Uh, I tried to be as as honest as possible without yeah. going to prison. So mm. obviously, patient details had to change. <laughs> the publishers were extremely keen that, not, particularly them, but also me, didn't, didn't go to prison. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so obviously, the clinical details changed and personal details, so people couldn't recognise themselves. Um, 
And the other thing is, you know, the, the bulk of the diaries were very boring because it was just, you know, mm. Cesarean section number 412 or something. No one's mm. wanted to read that. But the main thing I wanted to achieve with the book is to have a fair reflection of what it is to be a junior doctor. I wanted my colleagues to say, uh, yeah, mum, read this. This yeah, is what fantastic. it's like. Yeah. Um, and that meant sort of choosing the balance between the funny and the and the sad and the revolting mm. and the high octane and the, the petty bureaucracies and, and the impact it has on your life. All those things I wanted. I felt like I was a, a sound desk, sort of, with all these different levels trying to get mm. it right. And so that that's something else I fiddled with in Diary. A lot of the entries... Um, were just scribbled down on post-it notes or were just a few bullet points of the things. Did you just put them all in a box or what did you do? You, re- yeah, you came was, home from a shift exhausted and wrote notes, yeah? I, I generally wrote them on the shift. Unbelievable. So, you know, you see, one of the greatest, most acclaimed biographies, although it's not an actual biography, is Boswell's Life of Johnson, Life of Samuel Johnson. Now, what is remarkable about it is also a set of diary, there's about 370 fine print pages of of really diary entries, but some of them could go on for a few pages. But what Boswell would talk to Johnson till two o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock at night or whatever it was, but he'd come home at the early hours of the morning and write it down. You see, I was reading your book and I'm thinking, you know, every doctor's had a journey like this. It's not only him, it's particularly dramatic in obstetrics, but we all relate Every doctor to could every doctor. write the book. And every that's what I was thinking. I could have written this book, but yes. you wrote it. You see, well, brilliant. Yeah. No, I've, not, I've not come up with the genre of medical memoir. There yeah. are shelves and shelves and shelves yeah. on any, yes. on any uh, bookshop um, where you can read those. But I wanted, to do a, I wanted to just tell my story. And it's interesting, when... Often when I speak to uh, non-medics about it, they'll say, oh, that story, did that really happen? Doctors never say that. Doctors say, that's nothing. Here's my my top 10 revolting stories. Um, Because, yeah, every doctor does, could have told the story. I wouldn't say it's nothing, but I can also have a, if I thought about writing about things in my my memory, there are incidents like that, exactly. And I now realise that the reason I was writing these funny diary entries Mm -hmm was a form of therapy at the time. Yes, it was my amazing. pressure release valve. It was looking for the shards of light amongst the dark. Yeah. And you did it there and then on the shift, you see. You picked up a pencil and you did it. You did the therapy. That's yeah. the key. A lot of people could think these things, but writing them down is like another there's thing. A, uh, I don't want to name the, the hospital because uh, then, uh, again, prison. Uh, but there's <laughs> a, uh, there, was one, there was one bench on a, on a labor ward uh, the, in the, the male changing rooms. Yeah. And I... I, the number of hours I must have sat there at the end of a, at the end of a, a shift, I had my little little position and my uh, just write a few things down. Um, yeah, I'm very glad I I did. At, at the time, I just thought, what why did what did I think I was doing? I guess I felt I you know I'd always I'd always enjoyed writing. I was always the class class clown. I'd always liked you know comedy, but mm. you know. And then, but I chose the medical route. I chose the, you know, I didn't choose humanities. Um, and so this allowed me to to do it. And I sort of, I'd obviously read all of Alan Bennett and I was obsessed mm-hmm. with oh, you David have, yeah. Sedaris. And, and I, you know, I just wanted to, knowing that I wasn't anyway as good as them, but it's sort of, you know, I could use my turns of phrase that appealed to me and just, and jot them down. But I never thought they would get, I never thought, oh, there's a book in this. But no one is saying, you know, you know it can be a bit tough. Yeah. They don't tell you when you're applying, yeah, yeah. and they don't tell you during medical school. And then, once you're a doctor, 
it's very much the approach of, you know, we're bloody doctors and we'll bloody get on with it and a stiff upper lip and a stiff drink and, you know, never yeah. talk about anything. Shut the if up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and just sort of, you know, you don't want to be... It's the idea of a doctor not being a human. Yeah, yeah 100%. And I talk about this a bit in the book, the idea that the person who you're going to to interpret the MRI of your brain and then tell you what the management is... You need them to be 100% correct. You don't want to think this is a person who makes mistakes. And so you act the role a bit. And so then you think of yourself, even subconsciously, as the sort of superhuman. But the flip side of that is that superhumans don't get sick. And they don't get sad. Yeah, but you're meant to be like that. Hum- yeah, and we're allowed to, to. We're allowed to make mistakes. Well, it's funny you talk about medical students because I, I was about a third of the way through your book, and I'm mentoring a medical stu- someone right. who's interested in becoming sure. a medical student. And uh, she said, uh, she said she's not sure she wanted to do medicine. So I mm-hmm. said, read this book. And then I read a few horrific stories in your book. And then I phoned her and said, no, 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 don't read anything unless you know you want to do medicine. Then you must read this book. I would say. Medicine is a job to go into with both your eyes wide open. Yes. Uh, so it has these impacts on your life, sort of those practical ones, and also the emotional side of it. And so if we're being honest that medicine has bad hours, we can also be honest that it has other bad aspects. But you also, I will say to you that you did in the book also talk about the exhilaration of feeling useful and coming back late from a shift and knowing that you've done some good in the world. You talk, you do mention yeah. the highs as the well. The highs. Yeah. But I worked in Ops and Gynae. You end yeah. up with twice the number of patients you start with, <laughs> which is, you know, no other branch of medicine can say that. <laughs> and, but the problem with the specialty is, is the height of the highs is set off by the depth yeah. of the lows. So I think you can see every branch of medicine as a sine wave, so, mm. and the higher the highs, the then the it's the, 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 a mirror image, the yeah. low lows. Um, I suspect I would still be a doctor if I'd have chosen a flatter sine wave. And there is always, you can always kill a patient. So even if, you know, you're yeah. a dermatologist and, you know, you think that is the, you know, the, the very opposite derma holiday, we, we used to call it at uh, a medical school. If, if you say that, you know, that's just a mole go home and it turns out it was a basal Someone cell said cancer. To me, a, a doctor once said to me that I've known for 30 years, he said, you know, he almost believes that medicine is a club that you only really become a member of that club when there's an incident which just haunts you and that you could have done different, you could have done a bit better yourself when you actually look back and think, oh, I said the wrong thing or I did the wrong thing. Sure. Right? Yeah, and we all have that. We, we've yeah, all got those. Yeah. But why not preempt that by teaching people how best to deal with it? No, no, you don't get that. Um, thanks for talking about all of that. And I'm very fascinated that your therapy was this speaking it out, sharing and doing something with it and influencing people. Let's move on to spiritual health. So let me ask you the basic question first that I ask everyone. Do you believe in God? I don't believe in God. And do you have any experience of spiritual or religious experiences or interaction with religious people or anything you'd like to? Some weddings? Does that... (laughs) Weddings? No, I I was brought up in a not particularly from Jewish household. From means orthodox and following all the rules, yeah. So... In as much as, you know, they would go to to Shulter Synagogue a couple of times a year and they would keep kosher. But I keep kosher, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, pretty I mean, much. Yeah. yeah. 
Same uh, apart actually. from prawns. Oh okay. no, uh, they they wouldn't eat pig. Yeah, they, okay. That was their sort of that eat was their prawns in a restaurant, but not at home, sort of. Oh person. no, they'd eat them at home as well. Actually, they just didn't eat pig. Um, <laughs> that's slightly less than kosher. Yeah, okay, that's modified kosher. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, but that was the like, we did Christmas. Yeah, that was the most Christmas important. tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christmas tree, Christmas presents. <laughs> that was you know. Um, so not. I mean. I don't think the chief rabbi would, you know, would put them on the front page of the Jewish Chronicle, whatever, as, as model model Jewish citizens. So that was the, that was the environment I yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I grew up in. Um, I had a bar mitzvah right, yes. when I was thirteen, yep. and then it just didn't didn't it wasn't for me. You weren't inspired by any rabbinical sermons or yeah. I wasn't. Um, just didn't. Just didn't work for me. And anything else like meditation or anything that qualifies as sort of, uh, you know, tree hugging, anything like that? No, or? I think I've always, and I suspect it's going straight into medicine mm-hmm. at, uh, you know, at age, you know, 18 and sort of that sort of that very scientific approach and then choosing a specialty, which, as you say, is part surgical mm. who are presumably the the least spiritual of all the possible branches of medicine um it never i was always fairly cynical about about that um and i think it's more than possible to be a good person without having a religion mm-hmm. and um i think it's possible to you know to be together and have a, a, a calm life uh, without going to yoga. Do you think that, yeah, that but obstetrics potentially is spiritual in a sense? You know, I read when I was doing obstetrics in fourth year medicine and, and, and I was, it was in Africa and in, in Soweto and I, had a child, I remember delivering nine babies in one night. That's, something, that's quite something yeah. because it's as a ward of, you know, a massive ward with about 25 booths on either side. And, and once I was walking past that night, I was walking past a, a booth and I just saw baby's head appearing without any attendance there. So I went into this, but this could happen. So I went into this room and the nurse, and I said, where's the gloves? And it, no, no, there's no time for gloves. Just deliver this baby. Just do it. And I had this experience of delivering this baby with the bare hands without any, and I never forgot that. Everything was fine. And, and, and But I also have a horrible memory of a doctor running across the ward to do a shoulder presentation and not making it. There you see the woman recovering from a major operation, having lost a baby. Really hard. But it did. girlfriend at the time said to me, read this book by Frederick Leboyer called Birth Without Violence. And there I eventually met the man, and he, he was spiritual. He was sort of had a spiritual fear how we treat the young. His view was that the baby is not a thing. It is a human being with all the senses and feelings, not verbal, but feeling everything, feeling the anxiety in the room and everything. So there's some magic in obstetrics, and it comes across there in is, your book too. Yeah, there, there, there is magic. It's an amazing, mm. it's an amazing, amazing thing. But I suspect I was on the practical end of things rather than the uh, the soppy end of things, and you know, and you know. It's a, it's, a, it's a magical time, I think, for the family. When you've done 2,000 of the bloody things, it's sort of uh, the magic wears off a little. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just want to be technically good, yeah. It's yeah. Good. So have your family forgiven you for leaving medicine now? Have they moved um, uh, towards forgiveness? Or? Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, ish. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I suspect, and maybe this is a partly a cultural thing, and it maybe it's and, and partly it's just your your brainstem human nature is 
you want your kids to be all right. Mm. And for them, leaving this sensible job where you got a, a monthly, you know, paycheck and it was a job for life and it was well respected and my son the doctor and you know I, I left I left that and you know they were I don't think they still quite understand how I make, end, make ends meet they don't quite understand what being a, a comedy writer for television actually they involves, must know what but, a best-selling uh, non-fiction writer is though I mean, yeah and I think that I think that's that's more that's sort of more on their terms because <laughs> yeah. it's sort of the Sunday Times prints <laughs> yeah. it every week so they can um, but it's uh, I th- I think they're no longer worried for me, um, which potentially initially they was manifest uh, in other emotions. And they might see that you're happier, less stressed or... I'm... Not less stressed. I mean, I'm less fulfilled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because nothing... The arts are important, of course, mm. but you can't convince yourself you're doing as good a thing, you know, by making people laugh on a sitcom as actually, you know... De- delivering their baby safely in the middle of the night and uh, so I'm, I'm I don't have that fulfillment I had but what I do have is a work-life balance mm. and I choose the work I do and before my work-life balance was 100 to nil I didn't have a life particularly work was my life it, be- it becomes there isn't time for anything else so now as a result of that mm. I I am much happier overall my net vector is is towards happiness do you think that that's lovely to hear do you think that there's when you on stage and you say something and there's a good response of it do you feel there's a type of healing in that when everyone laughs at something together if it's um i i think i'm slightly immune to that i mm-hmm. think initially the buzz of the buzz of the the, the crowd you know mm-hmm. because you know if in medicine, if you do a great cesarean, no one stands up and claps. Mm. And, you know, in fact, the only feedback you ever get in medicine is when you fuck up, you know, or a scene to... Or if you're slow. If you do or if you're slow, yeah. <laughs> so if, if anyone's got a criticism, you'll, 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 you know, you'll, you'll be called into negative. an office and you'll be, and you'll yeah. be, be told off and you'll have your, your wrist yeah, slapped. But yeah. no, it's very rare that... And that's why I kept every thank you card yeah, I got from a, from, a, from a patient and they've survived, you know, how many house moves I made over the years. never throw those away. No, yeah. I never will. And yeah. you know, when I, when I um, turned in my GMC uh, badge and gun and said I'm no longer on the register, I threw away a huge amount mm. of stuff, but I'm never going to throw those away. So, but obviously it's basic, it's basic human psychology, isn't it? We like being told we're great. That and if, we're useful. Um, and on stage, a bunch of people, round of applause mm-hmm. from a room of, whether it's five, ten, a thousand, ten thousand, yeah, great. That, that's a real, you know, dopamine fist bump, that's isn't right. it? But I'm but, thinking more of when they laugh. Do you feel the release of something? I don't know if you. I did. I, I, I did. No I think more. I've now proved to myself that's something I can, can do. do, and it's not yeah. not an arrogance about it. Just that I'm just experience. I'm. I'd like to think, and having said this, now my next gig is going to be a disaster. You know, I, you know, I, I I've now done this enough that. You know, I assume people are going to laugh and it's going to be nice and they're going to have a nice evening, blah, blah, blah. But no longer do I come off stage and think, oh, great. Yes. Ah. Now it's sort of, I've, you know, I've, I've done my day at work. But you're different because other comedians have said that they're so adrenalized after doing a gig, they've got to drink wine and eat nuts and, and <laughs> hang in there. It's not easy for them. You know, maybe you, your time in theater and the stuff like that has made you into a different type of comedian. Oh, yeah. Maybe, uh, my, maybe my, my barometer has yeah. uh, set to a lower level. And also I do, I do 
other things. So I d- it's not the thing I enjoy most getting up on stage. I've I'd sort of stopped doing that uh, for for a couple of years. That what much. do you enjoy most then? I enjoy work wise, not writing, which I hate. Uh, I enjoy having written. Ah, so uh, <laughs> and I enjoy the I enjoy the germ of the idea. I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah this could yeah, be a great yeah, thing. And then I love the bit at the end, like, oh, look at this thing. I mean, the, that, those, those are my two favourite. Oh yeah, yeah, that bit in the middle is just a nightmare. Uh, but I can't find a way around that bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I, I get huge pleasure from uh, yeah. Well, you you're know. a craft, you're a wordsmith and a craftsman. I mean, lovely writing in your book. Oh, that's L- kind of you. Let me ask you a couple of things, like do you have any health regimen that you do that you actually uh, stick to or anything like that? Or uh, No, not really. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a sort of, I'm probably a physical wreck, aren't I? Mm-hmm. I, I, don't I, don't, I don't smoke, uh-huh. that's something. Um, I don't drink the most out of everyone. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't do any drugs. Uh-huh. So, I mean, those, those, are, those are some good things. I don't exercise, uh, which I guess... Uh, it's going to be a list of don'ts here. Yes, I, I don't. exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm vegetarian. Oh, there you go. So, okay. I mean, that's that's something. But um, as well, with you, most vegetarians, it's mostly bread and cheese and pasta and pizza, I nearly isn't killed it? myself being vegetarian in a ward, you know, eating hospital canteen food, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, you die of starvation <laughs> if you sort of... If you, <laughs> um, my, if my body is a temple, it's one of these sort of ruined Damascan ones. Than... <laughs> okay, last thing. Is there any tip that you'd give people to be happy or healthy or anything? Any one tip that you could suggest? I was thinking about this before because um, someone asked me, you know, what would you what would you tell your 16-year-old self yes. in an interview? Yes. I, I couldn't really think of anything at the, at the time, but, um, but then I sort of left and, was, and then spent an evening thinking about it. I think it sort of applies to um, to everyone that no one stop worrying what people think about you Mm -hmm. because they're probably not thinking that no one really cares about you. Probably not even thinking about you at all is 100% right. I've heard that um, encapsulated in a saying what other people think about you is an event in their lives, not in your life. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, no, that that tells it much better, doesn't it? Um, And... There was a, I used to be sort of very conscious about, you know, dressing right and, you know, and being seen at the right parties. And and then suddenly I had an epiphany. I don't need to pretend to be cool. I don't need to pretend to be something yeah, I'm not. Yeah, you come here and, with a short I mean, shirt and sandals, is, you know. This is, I'm looking like a nightmare, aren't I? Expect I expect mean, people to be hosed down and come <laughs> in the suit to Harley Street. <laughs> so, yeah, and I'm really bringing down the, bringing down the tone no, of the neighbourhood, aren't I? Um, but... Uh, yeah, I think I think that's I think that's quite important. And I, I think I became happier uh, when I realised that. Also, you don't need to choose what you want to do forever mm-hmm. when you when you're sort of filling out your UCAS form. Yeah, um, I think we can have interesting careers. I think it, two generations back, it will be unheard of to do anything other than go into one trade when you left school or university and stay there until you got your, your carriage clock when you were 65, 70. Mm-hmm. You know, now you're allowed to, I mean, the horrible LA term is you're allowed to pivot careers. Oh, no, I'm um, any, expression, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can, you can pivot whenever, whenever you like and uh, it might, you know, don't do something you don't enjoy. Maybe you'll enjoy. pivot back into medicine one day. You know what? I think I probably <laughs> won't do any caesareans anymore. <laughs> okay. But I've got a huge amount of... Um, 
personal satisfaction and I've seen myself being useful again mm -hmm. through talking to medical students and young doctors about the concept of caring for the care and looking mm -hmm. after yourself. And, and I wonder if I might find for myself some role in medical education, be it that or be it even just, you know, teaching you medical students already. and guiding. People reading this book, it's serving a role and people are obviously responding to it. But for me, it was getting a message across and I'm absolutely humbled and astonished and so grateful to all the team at the publishers and the, yeah. you know, writing, being the person who writes the book, it's like... It's like being the, the male partner in producing uh, a child. It's, you know, it's a few minutes work nine months earlier mm. and then nothing. Then it's uh, you sort of completely hand over responsibility to someone yeah, else. Yeah, I'm aware so, of that, yeah, because I'm like, I talk to you now and then there's a team that'll go and make the yeah, podcast. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's the, the sort of the, the unsung yeah. heroes of, yeah, of absolutely. Uh, you know. See, I can't think that. Well, are you feeling funny, team? I'll be really happy to hear that. What you <laughs> <said>. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, this, there are, there are probably hundreds of people involved in, in, in making this book mm. a success. And I'm so grateful to them because they believed the same thing that I did, that it was in somehow kind of important to sort of to, to bang the junior doctor gong. And it's they really got behind it. It's not a book you can forget. If you've read that book, you're not going to forget having read that book. It's not going to just be, oh, yeah, I read that one day. No, you, if you've read... This is going to hurt. You know you've read this is going to hurt. Oh, that's, 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 that's nice to hear. It really is. And so I, yeah, so I'm hugely proud of, 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 of what I've done and because I've, I've achieved the goal I wanted to, which was to spread a message. And I'm grateful to, also to you for Thank you so letting much me for spread it. Thank uh, you so much yeah. for coming in. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Are You Feeling Funny is a Sniffer Nixon production. Comedy consultant is the legendary Arnold Brown. The series producers are Luke and Alan Nixon, with music from George Montague, audio recorded by Alex Hollingsworth, and the series editor was Luke Nixon. But more importantly, the back-breaking vocal work you are hearing now is done by me, Olivia Nixon. You can find loads more stuff from us to listen to and read at snippernixon.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.